All right. Well, my name's Corey, for those who might not know me. <laughs> but um, back in, in February and March, uh, my family and I took a trip to the Philippines. And we were there for like a month. It was a well-needed vacation. It was fantastic to be there. And uh, while we were there, within like the first week of being there, uh, we ended up going out with just some family friends uh, to lunch. And I ended up meeting this, this fella by the name of Joel. In particular, his name was Pastor uh, Joel. Um, or rather, that was not his name, his given name. <laughs> his given name was his calling also. Um, but we really hit it off. And he actually invited us over um, kind of at the end of our vacation to come spend some time with them. And we we're like, absolutely. I'm like, let's go over to your house. So, you know, we had our whole vacation. And then about a week before we were leaving, um, we went over to his house. And thank God we went there. I mean, I had not had a good cup of coffee. I think I was running on instant coffee the whole time I was there. Coffee Co. And uh, <laughs> for my Filipinos in the crowd there. But um, yeah, it was a great cup of coffee. But I sat there and talked to Pastor Joel. And um, I was just asking him about the church that he pastored. And I just asked him, what was the biggest problem that was facing his congregation? What was the biggest thing that, you know, he had to undertake with his flock? And he said, absent fathers it was a big problem. Absent fathers who were not involved in their kids' lives. Actually, not because they were out of the picture at all but actually just because they were so busy working, trying to provide for their family. And when they got home, they just had nothing left for the rest of their family. And so this gave rise to a ton of very strong women in his flock. But he also needed strong fathers in the homes. And so his job was, he, his, his task ahead of him was discipling fathers and bringing them back into the picture. And he talked about this thing called family worship, and he said, I'm discipling fathers so that they can bring family worship back to their home daily. And that word hit me. Those two words hit me. I was like, family worship? I never heard necessarily that. And so I asked him, what is family worship? And he explained to me this practice. And he essentially broke it down where he said, it's this time where your household, it gets together. And your household prays and they read and they sing daily for about 15 minutes or so. And, you know, the father and mother lead it together. Um, you know, we continued to talk about many other things, but I tell you, I left that house, and it stuck with me. Clearly, here I am months later. And I felt convicted because I, I had not done that for my kids. Not on the daily like he was talking about. You know, me and Vera are looking to send Rory off to school this year in September. And to be quite honest, I'm worried. I'm worried about what values the world will start teaching him. I need to press in daily and teach him good things, godly things, so that he will be blessed, wise, and carry wisdom into a foolish culture. You know, there's a battle for our very minds and our hearts and our souls in this world. And we should not be on the defensive when it comes to these things. We need to be on the offensive. 
We need to be equipping our households so that when we walk into the world, we walk with wisdom and strength and power, knowing Scripture, carrying the light of Christ into the world. The devil seeks to pull us astray. That includes our vulnerable children. You know, I think about my own life. I grew up in a Christian home. I led worship from a very young age. I was heavily involved in youth, and yet when I went to university, I walked away from my faith for four years. And that's not an uncommon story, unfortunately. There's a very high percentage of kids that leave the faith after high school. And unfortunately, many don't have the conviction from their childhood to bring them back to Christ. It got me thinking, would I have walked away if I had the discipline of family worship? I cannot be sure exactly. But Proverbs 22 came to mind, and, I, and it says, Proverbs 22, 6 is, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will, he will not depart from it. So I just think, well, family worship certainly could not have hurt my circumstances. And maybe for some kids, it could have been the difference. Um, theologian uh, Albert Mahler said, if this generation, if our generation does the commandments of God and our children do not, and our children's children do not, guys, that's a, that's a failure. That's a failure on our part. And if you Maybe you're hearing me and, this, and you don't think maybe this topic is relevant to you because you might not have children yet. Well, let me just remind us all that when we have baby dedications here, we certainly have two parents standing up here saying, hey, I promise to raise my kids in the way of God. But remember, us sitting there watching them, we say something too, don't we? Don't we? So let's just keep that in mind. And trust me, this family worship thing, this is good for families. This is good for husbands and wives. This is good for grandparents, empty nesters. This is good for households in general. So I've got something for everyone here. I want us to bring family worship into our households, praying, reading, and singing so that we obey God and we bless our households by making us wise and knowing the gospel truth, which is our salvation. So let's kick this off by uh, diving into scripture here. We're going to use Deuteronomy 6 as kind of our anchor passage here. So if you can turn there, um, we're really going to focus on verses 4 to 9, but I'm going to start just from like 1 to 9, just to give some context. This is just before they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is reiterating kind of all the law. So Deuteronomy 6, we're going to start at verse 1 here. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all its statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, 
that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I'm going to stop there just for a second. And let's notice some that's that are in there. That you may fear the Lord your God, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly. There is blessing that is associated with what is just to precede this from following these commandments. So let's just keep that in mind. These are good things. So verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what do we do with God's commands? We teach it to our children. We talk about it in our house. We talk about it when we're on our way somewhere. We talk about it when we go to sleep. We talk about it when we wake up. We keep it close to us. We write it down where we can see it in our house. The conclusion is, this seems to be all the time. <laughs> Tom Askell is a, a pastor in Florida, and he said, the lack of household worship, of family worship, it divides life up into sacred and secular, where worship is what we do on Sundays, and life is what we do the other six days of the week. You know, when we read Deuteronomy 4 to 9, it just does not give us that option of dividing up life like that, eh? We are to be constantly talking about Scripture in our house, outside our house, on the way to other places, and specifically teaching our children. So, before we dive into uh, more stuff about this, I just want to take a kind of a world tour around the Bible just to see where exactly, um, you know, this is, this is seen throughout Scripture. Where, where can we see children being taught? Where can we see worship in households? And so let's bring it back. I'm just going to kind of touch lightly. Um, I had a bunch of these verses, and I was going to read through all of them, and that'll take forever. So I'm going to reference some of them here, and we're going to comb through them quick. But um, Genesis 22, 5 to 7, we'll start there. This is when uh, God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And so starting in verse 5 here, it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship it and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went, them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? How did Isaac know what was missing? For worship. Isaac's taking stock of everything they've brought, and he notices something very specific is missing for their time of worship. And I'm guessing it's because he knew because his father and him had worshipped together before. Many times. Job 1, 
This is, uh, you know, he, he, I'm, I'm not going to read through all this, but essentially his children all hold these feasts. And it describes Job after these feasts, he takes them and, he's, and he consecrates all of them. And then he offers burnt offerings to all of them. This is all done in his house for his household. And he offers sacrifices for them, teaching them all, worshiping with them all. And it says, thus Job did sometimes, weekly, continually. It says Job did it continually. Joshua 24, 15, super famous passage. Joshua's, they're, they're crossing over and he's saying, hey, who are you going to follow, God or all these other gods? And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is during the time of the tabernacle. It was quite a procedure to set all this stuff up. Maybe you have it in your head like I did, where, you know, weekly gatherings were, were occurring all the time here. That was not the case for Israel at these times. Gosh, even during the time of the temple, when Solomon set this thing up, this was in Jerusalem. Most of Israel was like a three-day trip to the temple. So where were they doing their worship? In their households, with their families. To follow God's commandment to serve the Lord, Joshua would have had to worship at home. He would have had to teach his kids. Psalm 78, super long passage. If you're in SJT, it'll come up in a few weeks. And you can read it there because it's a long one. But it talks all about their fathers teaching them and them teaching the next generation and their children specifically so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Ephesians 5, 25 to 26 starts with husbands. Not necessarily fathers in this case. Husbands, love your wives. So this is a husband-wife dynamic here. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. With the word refers to the proclamation of Christ's sacrificial love. Do you think this is something that husbands are doing with their wives weekly? At church? No, it would be every day. Daily we should be doing this as spouses with each other. 2 Timothy 3. This is Paul talking about Timothy and commending him. In verse 15, we get to how, your uh, how from your childhood, he's talking about Timothy here, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How from childhood is Timothy acquainted with the sacred writings? That's scripture. This is a cool one. Because actually, it seems in Timothy's case, there was a lack of father. And a lack of grandfather, it even seems. Because earlier in, in 2 Timothy, Paul's actually commending his grandma and his mom, Eunice and Louise, who taught him. They must have been teaching him daily, <laughs> running him through scriptures, praying with him. Ephesians 5, this one's for all of us. 15 to 25. I'm just going to read this. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks once a week. No, sometimes, always, always, and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do we always? Once a week at church? No. Guys, we'd have to bring worship home with us to do what Paul is compelling the Ephesians to do here. Always. We have to bring worship into our households to daily accomplish what all this stuff's talking about and to definitely accomplish what we read in Deuteronomy. Right? Teach it to our children. Talk about it in our house. Talk about it when we're on the way somewhere. Talk about it when we go to sleep. Talk about it when we wake up. Keep it close to us. Write it down where we can see it in our house. This is how God's people have got to think about worship. Have we lost this? If we don't practice worship in our homes, it erodes a foundational space and time for worship. Let's bring up the circles of Christian gatherings here. I've put this graphic together for, for us here. Very simple. Thank you. The use of colors took me hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, as we start from the very bottom here, and we go outward of these concentric circles, the amount of people grows larger, but the frequency of meeting grows less frequent and less often, right? Individual, I mean, we cannot get away from ourselves. We are to be with ourselves all the time, unless you're having some out-of-body experience that I am not aware of, but... But guys, household is next. And I think we jump this all the time when we talk about worship. It's close to the center, you know, but church and community groups that are next here, they're supplements to our daily worship. And they're an opportunity, actually, to supplement others. Right? They are outer concentric circles to our faith that are, hear me, that are necessary, necessary. But their practice is eroded if we don't have those inner concentric circles worked out. I mean, it would seem crazy if you met someone who claimed to be a disciple of Christ and a worshiper who said, yeah, I just go to conventions every few months. <laughs> And can you guys imagine, can you guys imagine, can you imagine a Sunday if every individual and family came from a week of regular worship in their homes? I think our Sundays would be so rich. And I think we would see God move in some real powerful ways. And I think that this actually would spill over to our neighbors. I think it would spill over to our schools when we're sending our kids off and they're sharing the gospel because the scripture is written in their hearts because they've been basting in it. 
our communities, our jobs, and our nation. So how do we practice family worship? How do we bring this into our household? What does it look like? Well, from looking at kind of uh, a bunch of the things that we can do in worship individually and on Sunday, I think three things that we can really bring home is praying, reading, and singing. Praying, reading, and singing. Okay? And I think our structure can look like this. Right? 15 minutes, and we pray, we read, we ask, we sing, we confess, and we pray. So we can open in a short prayer and ask God to bless the time we have together. We can read a chapter or some select verses from the Bible with one another, wherever you left off from, maybe yesterday. We can get different people to participate in reading Scripture. We can ask after we've read. We can just ask a question or two. What does this have to do with our faith? What does this say about our faith? What does this, what does this tell us about Christ? What, is it, what, what does this tell us about eternity and about the hope that is set before us? Just ask a few questions. We can sing a worship song together, maybe just a verse and a chorus of a hymn or a song that we do on Sundays. We could recite memory verses also during this time if we're working through some in our day-to-day. We can confess to one another. I think that's super crucial. There's a lot of strife that goes on in households. There's a lot of opportunities to hurt each other in households. Imagine daily us meeting together and actually working it out right there. And then closing in prayer and, and praying specifically about the things that you, you learned today. Like I said, this maybe takes 15 minutes, maybe longer if your discussion is, is real rich that day, maybe shorter if everyone's tired and just, you know, in a way, maybe 10 minutes. Now, I can hear the criticism already because <laughs> some stuff went through my mind uh, before, you know, me and Vera even implemented this in our own homes. Um, you might say to yourself, Corey, I can't possibly prep a devotional every day. I don't have the time or the know-how. I promise you there is no prep. <laughs> you are reading God's Word and just picking up from where you left off yesterday. The whole Bible is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We read that a few weeks ago. You can literally... Use a chapter or a set of verses from the SJT reading if you're following along, seeing Jesus together. Now, here's the one I was maybe expecting. Corey, none of us can sing. <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of seagulls being strangled. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, that actually does not seem to matter. And if you use that excuse at home, then I bet you you're going to use it here. And that's not right. Do not teach our children not to sing to our Creator. Guys, don't teach our brothers and sisters to not sing to their Creator. Sing. Praise Him with all your might like David. We just talked about this last week. When his wife looked out, Michal, remember? Looked out at him like a fool. David knew God was delighted and praised by his worship. 
This is what we teach our children and our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look like a fool singing, then answer the same way that David did. I will become even more undignified than this if it means I praise my Savior and my God. In fact, what a testimony. If you have a bad voice, you have a better testimony, possibly, <laughs> to God's goodness that you would make yourself a fool. So please. <laughs> Corey, my family is so busy. We can't possibly find the time when we're all together. Aim to make it a priority. Do it even if not everyone can make it. I know busy schedules and lots of kids might prevent this. But guys, do it anyways. Do it even if one or two people can't show up. But do try to make it a priority. Put away work. Put away phones. Put away our activities. You can do it in the morning if you find time there. You can do it in the evening if you find time there. Every day. Make it a priority. And I just want to address Father specifically. If worship is not happening in our household where there is a father or a husband, guys, that's on us. It's our fault. We are supposed to lead our households. And wives and mothers and even children. Guys, you might have to kickstart this if your husband or dad or mom, if there's no dad in the house, if they're not willing to. But continue to work to bring a father parent, a husband, to a conviction that this is necessary until they lead. Okay? We should be like Jacob in Genesis 35. <laughs> God says to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother. And this is Jacob. Jacob says to his whole household uh, and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go to Bethel so that I may make an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I go. Hey, wake up your household. Put away your phones. Put away your work. We're going to go build an altar in the living room. <laughs> All right? This is how it should happen. Awake the worship. What if I just have roommates? Well, if they're Christians, do it with all of them. Take turns leading it. You guys all love God. Do it. I think the struggling example for me, admittedly, is what if you live alone? And this one is a challenging one, I think, to bring household worship. If we're looking at those concentric rings, it will remain individual unless you strive to make it something more. And so I would just pray for you and just say, somehow you have to reckon with Deuteronomy 4, or 6, sorry, Deuteronomy 6, and you have to figure out how, how do I talk about this thing with someone else? Maybe that looks like you calling someone every morning or every evening. Maybe it makes, it's like you're, you're, finding time to go out for a coffee. Maybe you find another Christian at your work that you can talk with daily about this kind of stuff. Admittedly, this one's going to be a struggle for you. And I don't know if I have a perfect answer, 
perfect wisdom for every individual scenario there, but gosh, maybe maybe a conviction becomes so strong that maybe you're even like, man, I might need to invite another Christian into my household so I can do this on the regular because it's so important. I'm not sure, but gosh, you feel free to come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and figure that out, and I know Vic and Mike would as well. But hey, what if you're just a husband and wife, empty nester, maybe new parents with a baby? Practice this with each other. Practice family worship with each other. If you're empty nesters, pray this over your children. When you show up to them, do this with them. Do it with your grandkids. And what about if you have families with small small kids? You're like, they're never going to sit through a chapter, a whole chapter of Bible reading. Like, what am I doing? This is utter chaos. I can tell you it absolutely is utter chaos. <laughs> but guys, that's, that's, that's right. But switch out the longer chapters for uh, a children's Bible, right? Uh, we have this little children's book called The Pilgrim's Progress. Um, do, do that. Like, read a chapter of that. It works brilliantly. Get the child to pick a song like the B-I-B-L-E or Jesus Loves Me. It's wonderful. You know, ask them to say sorry if, you, if they have siblings, especially. Hey, is there anything you want to say sorry for today that you remember possibly from yesterday? That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, me and Vera have started implementing this a few weeks ago, and I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like, um, for us, we do it in the morning, and we invite the kids into our room at 7. They all run into our room, and it's a bunch of, okay, guys, come up on the bed. Let's, let's pray. Okay, guys, sit up, please. Guys, sit up straight, please. Hold on. Come here, please. Okay, let's close our eyes. And then, you know, one of the kids will be like, hey, he's not closing his eyes. It's like, hold on. Just worry about yourself. Just hold on. And so we pray. You know, it's like, okay, guys, we're going to read from this book. Okay, I want to sit by mom. Okay, let's get you sat by mom. Okay, guys, sit up, please. Let's pay attention. I can't see the pictures. Okay, well, here you go. And then we'll get through reading. It's chaos. But, guys, that's family. And it's important enough to do this. And you might have moments where, you know, your kids are sitting there, they're on their phone, and you're like, guys, get off your phone. Like, do you guys have any questions? Like, you ask, you ask them questions about this, and you're getting blank faces. I don't know. And maybe you'll feel like, is this even worth it? Is this doing anything of value at all? And I just want to tell you a story of... Uh, this man named Don, Don Whitney, he has been practicing family worship for about, well, longer than 17 years. But at the point of the story, he had been practicing it for 17 years with his family. And he tells it like this where, gosh, throughout the whole 17 years, he, he was like, it was a constant struggle to just, you know, get people together. Guys, please focus. Let's, let's get into this. Let's pray together. He was like, sometimes the dog would come and throw up on the carpet. Like, it was just, what is happening here? And he would have those thoughts of like, is this a value at all? And is this even worth it? What is this doing? And he said, like, never once did it ever feel like, man, the spirit descended today. And it was, Wow. But at 17 years of doing this, his daughter graduated. And at their graduations, they have the parents up on stage with them. And they get to say a little bit of a thank you 
to the mom and dad. And he said that as she started to, as she started to say thank you to her dad, she just started weeping. And she was trying to thank him for the family worship for 17 years. Where he just never knew if it was worth it. And he said that she was just crying like she had never cried since preschool. And for him in that moment, he said it was all worth it. I don't have a story like that yet. But I want to. I want my family, and I want your families. I want your households to be filled with oaks of righteousness. Daily worship. Daily worship can be a force. It can be a force that leads us to obedience and blessing by making us wise in knowing the gospel truth, which is our salvation. You know, we talked about family worship being this daily 15-minute thing. But guys, it should spill into your whole day, if you remember Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. The 15 minutes at the family altar every day should just be an anchor point. So let's just close today by just reading that passage again. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Now, church, let's go fill our weeks with worship in our households. Hey, please feel free to join us for coffee um, as we end the service today. I'm just going to pray over us just to kind of close us out. God, let us not, let us not box up worship and keep it as the sacred thing that we do on Sundays. God, may we take it home with us. May we unpack it every day. May we take it to work with us. May we take it to bed with us. God, when we wake up, may it be the first thing that we breathe in and breathe out. God, I just ask that worship just invades our place, our households, and that Sundays just become a time where we bring our worship from home to here. 
to sing psalms over one another here in this place. God, enrich our lives. Bless us. Keep us obedient. Put the will of God, write it on our hearts, Lord God, so that we may love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our might. God, be with us as we go into our week. May we worship you wisely. May we worship you often. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.